Welcome to Searching for Mana, the podcast that investigates the mana. That's the superpower in some of the most influential leaders who are building the future in tech innovation and finance. I'm Lloyd Wahed, a London-born entrepreneur and headhunter with over 15 years experience on a mission to discover what drives our guests to succeed. How have they got to the top? What attributes have excelled in their career? Listen to find out. Welcome to Searching for Mana. Welcome on to Searching for Mana, Morton Nielsen. Pleasure to have you on the show. For a fuller introduction, uh, Morton Nielsen is the Chief Financial Officer and co-founder of Arise, a company that's using DLT to disrupt traditional financial infrastructure. The company completed Denmark's first ICO, initial coin offering, and was one of the hot 10 companies in the 2019 FinTech 50. In addition to Arise, Morton has worked at an array of banking powerhouses, including JP Morgan, UBS, has previously been a chief executive officer and founder. So there is a lot to cover. What would be um, really appreciated um, is if you could just set the scene for what's going on um, for you and Arise currently, please. Okay, let, let, me, let me kick that off by giving you an example of um, what was said at a FinTech tech financial conference by the Danish FSA just before Christmas last year. Apparently, we in Denmark have a very senior um, employee or director of BIS, Bank of International Settlement, which is like the central bank of the central banks. And he was in his presentation, he was sort of saying uh, he was highlighting the discussions that had at BIS about where is fintech and blockchain going to disrupt uh, the world, the financial world. And the conclusion that they come up, came up with, he showed in a slide saying, what will, where will disruption really happen now, five years from now, 10 years from now? And it was payments and remittances, payments and remittances, payments and remittances. That was kind of the only area where they saw something really up for grabs, you know, where there was a business to be disrupted, where you, anybody who come out really fast in this area could make a huge difference because it was analog, um, it was uh, inefficient in today's modern world, um, the way payments are handled. And uh, given that we already know that payments is a $2 trillion industry every year, uh, that's right, and that's what we do. And then that's what is exciting about what Arise is doing and planning to do even uh, more explicitly in the future when we launch our products early next year. Where are you on the journey, Morton? Um, take us through in brief from founding to today, please. Jack, our CEO at Arise, came to me. We met at two conferences where we, uh, one of them where I was speaking. And I, at the last conference where I met Jack, I said to him, you know, I, I thought in my mind, if I ever going to join another company and, and do something else in this space, I want to work with Jack. Three weeks later, he came to us and asked if he could borrow me as a CFO for his new business. And that was kind of like, okay, 
that's not happening by coincidence, right? Uh, so we decided to that I should join as, as co-founder and take care of all the banking infrastructure, all the finances that we need to set this up and get this to running, right? To work. So we set off with a plan that started off by saying we're going to uh, digitalize the Danish krona, create an e-krona based on blockchain technology. Um, played around with that for a while. Uh, to be honest, was uh, we were always assuming at that time that we would keep uh, the assets on a blockchain as sort of a master ledger yeah. and then use lightning technology to move digital IOUs around uh, and with IOTA or something similar to that. But there were that technology never really uh, worked the way that we thought it should work. It was not safe enough. It was not secure enough, not fast enough. There were bottlenecks and all sorts of problems with that. Then Jack and I turned, because we already had the idea of digitalizing uh, money and backing it up with central bank money so that whenever you have a digital representation of money, it's actually, actually central bank money. That's what we wanted to do from day one. And we agreed uh, on that very quickly on. Meanwhile, what we were doing for our first Danish ICO, uh, determined to come to the to get this done and realized and we raised a total $1.3 million on that. Um, and but then we uh, we met some guys. We've always been very close with IBM from day one, thanks to Hyperledger Fabric, which is kind of something IBM is getting a lot involved with. Um, and, but then we came across, uh, thanks to some, some friends at IBM, with the idea of using a cloud-native core database system, uh, which is what Red Hat is doing, what yep. um, Episode 6, that we are working very, very closely with, uh, is providing as an efficient database or uh, database system that you can, from which you can create extension into many different currencies where you can do transaction at uh, up to 3,000, 4,000 transactions per second at a fraction of, of the cost that is involved in today. And then Jack and I changed the business plan. This, we're now back to, uh, where are we back to late 19, early 20, um, so almost a year ago. Yep. And decided that from that core database, which hold our core asset, i.e. money, the central bank money, we can actually create the extensions to blockchain from there that then can work as stable coins and various currencies and be quite efficient with the backup mechanism that we have behind that. And that is now the model that we're going to, uh, that we are ready to launch on, uh, provided that we get the funding that we need for, for the round we're launching right now, which is quite significant. And what can you, uh, are you at liberty to um, talk through what size of round you're looking to achieve and, and then what you're planning to do with that capital and why you actually need it? It's $14.5 million in what we call a early Series A or late seed round right now. Late seed, we call it early Series A because we, we're ready to launch basically but we need money to buy us into the infrastructure we need in the banking world to create the back-end infrastructure that we, um, that we need to operate. Then another round of $14.5 million coming in as an early Series B or Series B 
within a year, year and a half. And then we have agreed with a specialized bank some, some lending terms for actually borrowing money to uh, against some of the assets that we will be acquiring in this industry. So what I mean by that is that in order to control, it gets a little bit complicated, right? But imagine that you have a situation where you want to onboard a million clients into a core ledger system you um, and you need to do KYC AML on that. And then you then want to interact with the analog banking world for doing back-end transactions, i.e. it's easy for you and I to, to transfer a digital representation of money using blockchain technology or just this, to a simple app solution. But what if I want to move money to my... Uh, grandmother or somebody like that in in Texas and she doesn't have anything she needs to go to my cousin and then you'd have to go to an analog banking transfer system now that doesn't work because you will have to then to do that analog transaction you need to have a bank account in an American bank that then will be indirectly inheriting our KYC AML requirements without knowing any details about it what the transactions are so in, in a sense, a normal commercial bank would be saying, okay, we're just in the process now of creating a silk route for money we don't know anything about and clients we don't know anything about. So we can only solve that problem by having our own assets in the banking world, i.e. bank licenses or e-money licenses. And the best roadmap for us is to actually acquire banks and have bank operational licenses ourselves that we control. Yep. The main difference here between that and any neo bank, challenger bank or existing bank that you have today is that we will have operate the network of the first world world's first non-fractional lending banks. Meaning that if you want to buy an hundred E dollars from us, you actually transfer the money to us in our bank that we control in, in the US, we issue the digital dollars to you in your app. We call it MAMA app, multi-asset modular app functionality, we call it MAMA. Um, and then we take the $100 and we place it directly in the central bank. Okay? That way you know that the money that you have on your app, $100, is basically backed up by central bank money. Yep. And, it, and it does not engage in any kind of fractional lending as traditional banks do, meaning that we don't take any risk with your money. Yeah. And where, where do you plan to make, make uh, profit, therefore? We make the money through a combination of developer licenses and toolboxes that we will make available. When we create the extension from our core ledger to blockchains, i.e. stablecoins, backed by central bank money upon which you can develop whatever application you want in an open source environment that facilitate your business based on blockchain technology. Yeah. And we see a huge future for that. Yeah. This is now reaching into the world of financial inclusion, yeah. micro loans, lending, all these things. We have, I don't know, I mean, we've been, uh, Jack and I have been working together for three years now. I don't know how many countless meetings we had and calls we had with uh, fintech companies that want to work in the financial inclusion space, the, the micro donations, uh, helping finance small businesses wanting to start up on an island in the Philippines and all that. They all have one thing in common. 
they can't get the money out to work in that local environment because these people don't have access to a banking infrastructure that works. And as such, they get stuck with that when the money is in the, in um, in a major bank in Nairobi, and they need to move it a thousand miles to an island somewhere in a local branch where there is no local branch, and these people don't have a bank account to start with. So these people are crying out for the ultimate solution upon which they can build their applications. And yeah. that's the extension we're talking about. So when you want to access our toolboxes and develop on us, we're on our platform, you then pay us a license for yeah. doing that. It's, it's yeah, I mean, we're talking $150, right, uh, per year. That's some, that maybe $100, even less. It's, it's not going to be expensive at all. But yeah. we already know from our uh, community efforts, our ambassadorships, our cooperation with universities, that there are thousands and thousands of developers who are working on something related to blockchain technology. Yeah. So, so that's where we're going to make uh, quite a lot of money. And Morton, how... Um... Do you see the landscape in terms of your competition who's going after this particular niche, which if it were to operate at the scale that um, I'm sure you're excited and confident it might, is, is clearly a massive play and opportunity. Um, are you feeling like you're on your own after this? Is it incredibly com competitive just so the audience can get some type of uh, understanding? I think the market has not really moved to where we are yet. Um, right now, there's a lot of focus on challenger banks and neo banks, and some of them are actually developing everything that they want to do in the future on these cloud banking software solutions that are available now, which makes their businesses much more scalable and, and more cost efficient than any infrastructure that you have today. But that's kind of what we see the competitors doing, and we see neo bank challenger banks popping up everywhere. Everywhere, we have um, our first neo bank in De in Denmark now up and running, uh, Lunar Bank. Yeah. Uh, we love those guys. I mean, they 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 are like, okay, there's mistakes in the way that do uh, they do uh, onboarding for businesses and stuff like that. But uh, hey, we kind of like that. We 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 love this entrepreneurship that the things that they're doing because they're just challenging with the old uh, school kind of banking systems that are really siloed and, and just not compatible with modern finance and modern technology for what's available today. That's where we are. The difference is that we don't really want to build, and, and what they're doing is that they're adding their own financial services through the banking licenses and the software solutions that they have to the consumers and the clients that they have. We don't yeah. want to do that. Right. We want to be a neutral operating platform. So, so if you have the licenses approval by the F, uh, FCA in England to launch a financial product, we would like you to actually launch that product on our platform in an open source kind of uh, open environment where we are not deciding what solution you would you would choose. So. Assume now that we are up and running 100%. We have a digital wallet representing central bank money on the wallet. You can transfer money anywhere in the world free of charge. It doesn't cost anything, no matter where your business or your consumer. And you now want to have a car loan. Well, then in the, what's going to happen in the future is that you already have stored in our environment all your personal data. You then say, I have would like to see a car loan for this and that amount. Uh, and you now press a button and say, I would like to see somebody coming in and offer me a financial solution. And those people who are operating on our platform will then come back to you and say, listen, we think, provided that you go through credit checks and all that, that you can 
get this kind of terms for a loan. And you say, hey, these guys, financing guys, I heard about these, these are, they're crap. I don't want to show my details to these guys. I take these, and you take three suppliers of the financial product that you want, send your, uh, your personal details to, to them, and then they will come back with a loan offer to you. And as a company, Morton, um, you know, you, you, you describe it as a, a late seed or early Series A. Then if we step away from the user case now, just, just for a while, uh, what do you anticipate with the company? So um, the type of hiring and individuals that you want to attract next, uh, the scale of the operation, where will you be um, based um, so that we can understand the company elements? Yeah, that, that was actually the last point I wanted to make an extension to this thing about how we operate with our open sort of environment for, for people to show their financial products is our DNA. We have a quite uh, complicated, for some, not for us, but complicated uh, corporate structure uh, where we separate our token crypto blockchain track into one part of the of a rise. Another one is our core normal business track. Okay, so um, the reason why we do that, whatever we do in the world. It, we have one important thing that is going to be pervading through the whole thing. That is our Danish DNA. Uh, that we are not an American operator trying to operate in, in China or Russia or wherever they can go these days with financial services where there's kind of like a locked door, right? Chinese walls kind of, you're not getting into our country. And Russia is the same. China is not welcome in many places. We kind of despite all the problems we have with Danske Bank and the whitewashing scandal, we still have a good name uh, in the world as far as being not having a political, religious uh, agenda. And we are supposedly one of the least corrupt countries in the world. And that's kind of the DNA that we want to bring to, to the world that we are, apart from all the assurance that which assurances uh, that we bring to, to technologically to the market in terms of our central bank money, that we also have a DNA and a trustworthy structure. So everything we do anywhere in the world consolidates into a rise, Copenhagen being legally responsible for all activities that happen in the, in the world. That's a very important part of what uh, where we think we can prevail. Um, we are, we're kind of welcome everywhere, more or less. Right. Um, so, so that 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 is for us really an important thing. Now, uh, when it comes to the money side of it and where we want to go, we cannot execute this business without having money enough to buy into the infrastructure that we require. So, right now we're negotiating about buying ourselves into a bank in the U.S. We have two options there: we can either buy a bank, which has been offered to us. We keep the management in place, make a transition happen to this non-factual lending bank as being the first in America and the world. Or we have uh, a joint cooperation with some other guys who would like us to be part of, of uh, an a creation of a new commercial bank, which is tied into the crypto laws of Wyoming, uh, which is also an option for us. All of this costs money. Right, we, we, we won't get that without having the minimum bank capital requirements in place, which usually is around four or five million dollars. So we need a fair amount of um, of money to create the infrastructure that we require behind the scenes to make this operational at analog level. So we create the bridge between 
the digital money and the traditional banking world. Uh, and then we, we meet somewhere in the middle as far as our MAMA application uh, services are concerned. Yep. Okay. So I understand that. And that's something that you hope in the first half of next year you've concluded on? I'm quite sure that by February 1st, we will be done with our technical solution for for US. You know, it sounds like a, a career where, where there's a real purpose here and, you know, you can see the entrepreneurial opportunity of, of being that platform in the digital future of finance. Um, so it'd be interesting for us to try and understand where this this purpose of yours, Morton, has has come from. Um, you are somebody who graduated uh, in economics at Copenhagen University in uh, at the end of the 80s, I believe, and then went into a, a career of um, within finance, investment banking. Um, can you really think back to when you first um, started resonating with what it was you wanted to define your career as? Um, yeah, well, I almost since um, even before graduation, I was a portfolio manager uh, in Danske Bank, what is today Danske Bank, uh, managing a significant amount of money, of pension fund money, uh, had much too uh, much responsibility relative to my uh, age and knowledge about asset management. But hey, that's where I started. And then I always been interested in financial products, capital markets, uh, and Denmark just became too small. So uh, 100 years ago, I applied for some jobs in, in London and actually got two job offers out of three. And never made the third interview when a headhunter actually brought me over to London to meet some people. And I joined Paribas Capital Markets uh, to take care of uh, sales to the Scandinavian market on bonds and uh, credit uh, instruments and stuff like that. Uh, and from there on, it was just like step by step. Um, got really tired of it when I finally joined JP Morgan because uh, it was like uh, sort of plain vanilla stuff, uh, sell this, sell this, sell this, do this, do that. But then I was offered the opportunity to join a new business back in, and this is a long time ago, uh, 91, I think it was, uh, where we had to look at hedge fund industry, which was emerging at that time. And I was a part of uh, a couple of guys in New York and myself and another guy in London. Um, I was became uh, basically in charge of a, a relative value hedge fund marketing. And it took less than nine months. Then I was the third most profitable salesman in the world in JP Morgan. <laughs> that was just a, <laughs> the right opportunity, uh, the right time in the right bank, right? Because all of a sudden you had people like uh, Harvard Asset Management, you had um, long-term capital management and huge clients leveraging their funds into what is called arbitrage kind of situations in yeah. the financial markets. Yeah. And that was interesting because you were working with really smart people, yeah. much smarter than me. And they were teaching me about a lot of things. And then I tried to use my small brain cells to actually create some value for these guys as well on the other side, right? And that was a fantastic business. And I ended up being a global head of hedge fund uh, marketing in UBS. Uh, and then uh, from there on, it's just like, I wanted to do something else. So I left the industry and started doing something totally different with trouble, tropical uh, forest ecology and saving the rainforest and stuff like that, uh, which I'm still very interested in. But then came in something else five years ago, which was the idea of tokenization of assets, right? And one of the things I always wanted to, that, that pissed me off about the 
capital markets, investment, uh, banking environment, commercial banking for that matter as well, is that if you lower the cost of your pension contributions today, okay, the cost, not the, the, the not the returns you make on your pension contribution by one percent, yeah, a year. How much more money will you have when you when you go retire? Well, you're probably going to end up having something at like at least forty percent more paid out every month. Yeah, that's a lot of money, right? So, what about thinking about where we can reduce cost in financial services? Uh, combine that with one point eight billion people in the world who don't have a bank account. Uh, which uh, traps them into poverty um, and prevents significant economic growth. In the Philippines, they assume they estimate that if the 45% of the population who don't have a bank account actually get one, GDP will grow by an additional two to three percent a year. Um, and, but more importantly than that, given that I come from capital markets, was the idea that saying uh, investments are siloed, right? Most people, ordinary people, can't really invest in things that potentially make sense for them. So if you're a pensioner in the UK, I remember when I lived in London, I lived there for 19 years, right? So I have actually have lived quite a few years in England. The fuel, if, um, the fuel bill, heating cost was really an issue back in, in, in the late 90s and uh, 80s and so on. They couldn't afford it, right? Uh, it was really expensive. So what if you created the saving schemes into that uh, for pensioners and, and poor people to save in fuel? So how can how can an ordinary person invest in oil or natural gas or windmill energy, right? How can anybody save if you're a student or graduate and you want to buy a small house in Greenwich in London? What? How can you save in housing in Greenwich? How would you do that? Yeah, impossible. What if we tokenized a thousand residential properties in Greenwich? And then you start saving in that. So if prices double over the next 15, 20 years before you can actually afford to buy your little uh, house in, in, in Greenwich, then you saved into that and you benefit from the asset appreciation you get that. So with tokenization of assets living on a blockchain, you all of a sudden start creating a completely new universe for investments and finance at the same time that makes so much sense to the world. So Martin, do, you think, do you think you left, um, you know, it sounds like you had this really successful period, um, were in very profitable seats, and then you left because you became disenfranchised with what the end product was. And then yeah. what you're saying is when you, you came back, it was because you genuinely see an opportunity um, to, to, to do the right thing where finance could benefit a much broader um, tranche of individuals. Yes, absolutely. I think that you, you, have, you, can, you can create a financial industry now with what we have in blockchain technology combined with cloud native banking solutions for what we do, right? which is the core money. Uh, you can start creating a whole range of financial products that makes a lot of sense. For, for, for the whole world and normal individuals who are normally excluded from, from investing, from saving schemes and, and what have you, that makes a lot of sense to them. But I, 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 I'll just be the, um, the devil's advocate. Um, hmm. So the reason that the constructs um, 
are what they've been and particularly were what they were is because of course when somebody gets into a, a, a position in the center of transactions then they can pull levers to make different levels of profit which which in the world till today has been basically holding money and then by holding it you can make money a variety of different ways um, so conceptually suddenly this moving into um, a distributed um, blockchain in this instance conceptually allows that central power uh, to not have it anymore but do you not feel that the platforms that are going to become the 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 um, the tolls of the future are going to just create the same situation but digitally not really because what what's going to happen is that you, you create some kind of democratization of the financial product products that can be launched by smaller companies they're not tied into being launched and offered only by Lloyd's and NatWest. And, you know, they have, uh, you have opportunities for much smaller companies. We see that here at Copenhagen FinTech Lab, uh, where I'm speaking from all the time. People are innovating new stuff that will be possible to launch and probably get really good traction on if they have access to digital money and blockchain technology. Because at the end of the day, it's all about keeping the assets secure keeping your transaction secure and there's no better way of doing that than using distributed ledgers that yeah. is that, that is what the technology is giving us right that you can actually hold assets safely on a blockchain yeah no i understand that like i say i'm just being devil's advocate if i was listening to this and i'm i'm i'm, I'm a believer right I'm, I'm enjoying the movement i have a i have a firm uh solely focused on um you know moving talent into this um this domain but um yeah, it's just thinking of the normal rebuttals, um, which typically are to do with trust, I think is the main thing. And I get from the community that there's um, there's this brilliant spirit of innovation, and I, and I believe it. Uh, I can feel the vibe. But I think what will be the masterclass is um, the trust extending out to um, the individuals who actually can genuinely benefit from this moving forward. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be. Uh, I, say, I think the one challenge. I absolutely, I agree with that. And and one of the things I, I I'm Jack and I we we speak frequently at events. And uh, right now I'm running some teaching classes about AML KYC for all the major Danish banks yeah. uh, at, at very senior level. Um, how to manage that in the future and what blockchain technology can do for AML KYC. Uh, facilitation when you have these siloed networks and you should talk to each other about transactions and they can't talk to each other so you can't trace money across platforms across platforms um, the one thing i think that's going to happen that's what i've been preaching for for several years now is that the banks of today have to change back into becoming trusted intermediaries mm -hmm. okay so there will be banks emerging that will say listen i've worked with this bank be that NetWest, Lloyd's or a smaller bank, I don't know, uh, saying, I bank with you for 20 years. Which of these services would you recommend that I invest in? Okay? Because I have the, the, an application. I have a wallet. Somebody's offering me saving schemes. I don't know what is safe, what is not good, and so on. So become a trusted advisor to a more broader range of financial services is where the banks have to come back to. 
Okay, yeah. because the, whatever you do, even if you just look at SaaS solutions and and, yeah. and all this stuff, you know, even not talking blockchain technology, there's already now a lot of people building internet uh, solutions for finding the best consumer loans and comparing offers for also loans and what have you. So that works as it is today, but there's still a lot of people out there who don't know anything about finance, who need advice, right? So if the banks are going to succeed in the future, they're not only going to have a, a competitive products, they also have to be trusted advisors. If we're talking to an audience of executives uh, in finance, so so not 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 um, individuals who are necessarily um, not able to make investments, they are able to. What would your predictions with the crypto space be, and how would you be looking at making investments there as an ex? hedge fund guy yourself, um, you know, would you would you have any recommendations? Should we be treating uh, Bitcoin as a store of value now, uh, akin to how gold previously was from an investment pre uh, perspective, if you don't mind? Yeah, but I mean, I, um, I, I'm certainly not going to come up with any predictions about where Bitcoin is going to go, right? <laughs> but, 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 but I have been an advocate for the longest time for the last five years for the need and potential of having a digital version of gold, right? A safe asset that can work if everything else goes belly up, right? I mean, that that. so I'm, I've been a big fan of Bitcoin, even though I, I, I haven't had any. I had sold mine for a long time ago uh, and don't have time to focus on that really. But I think that you have, um, I, I, I really, I'm, I'm old school in this respect, right? Uh, when we do our financing round, even though our offering is a hybrid equity and STO tokens uh, offering, because we like both parts, so you get an, an investment into our balance sheet and normal corporate stuff. And you also get a token investment, which is tied into our revenue streams with token burn mechanisms and all, all the sort of stuff. Um, I really want to see a prospectus, right? So when we do this financing, we basically our white paper is, a, is, is the same as a prospectus. I like you to see do risk analysis, uh, competition analysis. Uh, I want to see all these normal things that you would expect from a prospectus, and that relates directly into the STO space. Okay, so yeah, I think there's huge uh, opportunities to invest in this, but I'm simply not going to uh, comment on anybody who haven't done their homework and presented me with a prospectus that complies with what I would expect to be uh, delivered to me in terms of information when I decide on whether I want to invest in something. So what's interesting in that respect is that we have a been talking to and for the longest time, a long time ago, agreed with Archex in London that we're going to be one of the first company listed on their regulated exchange, uh, crypto exchange. Uh, they got their FCA approval in September, I think, and they might be going live in December, January this year, the January next year. Um, then anybody who gets onto that would have gone through, a, for financing purposes, would have to go through what we're doing now on a voluntary basis in an STO space, which is provide people and investors with a prospectus. So as it's on our checks, I would definitely be looking at investing in. and. But from, from my perspective, anything called ICOs that are not tied in explicitly as utility uh, tokens, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm too old school for that. Let's put it that way. Just to finish, um, the, sh the show's searching for Mana. 
and say you've been very kind to talk us through your background and what you're up to now. Um, I ask every guest, so I ask you, uh, if you were to say, you know, what what has been the mana throughout your career, and mana really is, you know, the magic. Uh, what 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 would your answer be, Morton? It would be new financial products. You know, tokenized assets. That for me is the is is a game changer. Uh, when we start creating completely new financial products based on blockchain technology, securitization, which is the same as tokenization of assets, for me is a major game changer in the way we uh, finance things and things we can invest in. Uh, and you can actually start thinking about investing in. You don't have to have uh, two thousand pounds to invest in something. You can invest for a hundred dollars or fifty dollars if you want to. Right? This this access to diversified investments in whatever space and wherever you feel comfortable. Uh, that that for me is a major game changer. Do you think throughout your whole um, career um, that this is the biggest disruptive moment? Um, that you've seen from an opportunity perspective. Absolutely, because we're moving out of 200-year-old uh, debit credit kind of payment systems where investments are tied into a an infrastructure that hasn't really changed for the longest time. If you want to do an IPO, you have how many houses you can go to if you want to do a global IPO, eight, 10 yeah. maybe, uh, you know, and it's like, and it costs 5%, that's expensive. OECD has been criticizing the cost infrastructure uh, for IPOs for the longest time. But these are the only one guys who have you know, the distribution power and network who can actually do the job for you really well. What I like to see is that many more people start investing for retirement or you know, just not put keep all your money in a bank. Um, and they, you provide them with investments that make sense for them and give them a decent return on their money. The, the opportunity to be able to just um, globalize, uh, digitally allow people to, with freedom, uh, create their own opportunity is sounding very exciting for me. And um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I can see how Thank passionate you. you are about it. Um, a bit, a bit. And, and <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll keep an eye on you guys. And I, I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much for having me.